officially, my name is Chris, and officially, um, I'm not the all-time preacher here, which I think you all know that. Um, Pastor Joel is down in Palm Bay, uh, preaching down there. This is pretty much the same message he preached last week. So he has the opportunity to go share the word down there with them, and uh, he's asked me to uh, share the word with all of you. Um, I'm going to turn these fans on. I am a little warm. Um, so where we've been at, um, we've been going through Proverbs. We've taken a break from um, Mark, and through the summer, we get a chance to go through Proverbs. And it, uh, you may think Proverbs is a bunch of just you know little snippets of information that kind of tell you what to do and when you're right and when you're wrong. Uh, and on some cases it is, uh, but we're get, seeing this uh, as we've gone through Proverbs so far that it really comes down that there's some seven deadly follies, right? Um, and the title of this uh, series that Crosspoint Coast is going through is Fighting for Joy, Walking in Victory Over the Patterns of Sin. So as much as we want to highlight some of the sin, right, um, we really are fighting for joy because there is a fight to be had, right? There is, there is a fight that's not physical, it's spiritual. And there's a fight that we have um, as humans to just put ourselves aside and rest in who Christ is. And I hope that we can do that this morning. Um, so this morning, we uh, get the chance to talk about pride. I have the chance to talk about pride. Um, so I'll quickly define it for us, right? It says right out of the dictionary, it says pride is a feeling of deep credit, pleasure, or satisfaction derived from one's own achievement or the concentration on self. Um, if that makes you cringe, it did me as well. Um, this, is gonna, this is an interesting sermon for me to, uh, for me to have written, to, to talk with all of you in, and to share right? This is still, this whole pride thing is still a work that's going on inside of me. Um, and it's not done. Uh, so a subtitle of this sermon, I'm writing it as Pride, Thoughts, and Devotion. Um, because as we will see that this is something that is rooted, uh, and I'm going to be really honest, it's rooted inside of me. Um, and there's a fight to be had. Okay. Um, you know, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a normal preacher. Um, I don't have, you know, five easy steps, uh, for being sinless. Um, I don't have four ways to make you humble. I don't have three points that the Bible, uh, that the Bible gives to make you a better person. I don't have two topics, right? I don't have two topics that change your life, but I do know that there is one God, there is one Lord, and there is one Savior that gives us the ability and gives us an example of what being humble is. And I hope that through all of this, that shines light and that stays true more than any of my junk or anything else that we talk about today, okay? So... To just to clarify, this is still, this is a struggle for me, and I'm going to be really honest with you on that. 
So if you can, turn into Proverbs. We're going to read uh, two verses out of Proverbs, chapter 16, verses 18 and 19. If you have an app, you can pull up there. There's some Bibles up here if you need a Bible. Does anybody need a Bible? Or do you got an app or go down that road? Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18 and 19 read, and I read out of the NASB, so it is what it is, uh, a little different than what Joel preaches out of. So it says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. It is better to be humble in spirit with the lowly than divide the spoil with the proud. Let's pray. Uh God, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for um, being an example, sending your son to be an example of what it means to be humble, to be a humble servant. God, I ask this morning, Lord, that you would lead us all into the foot of your cross. Lead us to trust and believe in you for what you've given us this day. God, I pray that our hearts would change, our hearts would conform to you, God, and then ultimately... Not just because we're talking about pride, but God, I pray that we wouldn't be prideful in our own pride. Father, I ask that we would have hearts that love one another. We would have compassion for those that are around us in the communities that we live in. Pray for our neighbors that don't know you. Pray for our friends that are struggling. And I pray also for the fairs that are down in Palm Bay preaching your word. So, God, would you just meet us here in this little pavilion? Thank you for the people that are here and the blessing they are in my life right now. We praise us all in Christ's name. Amen. So the verse starts off and says, Pride goes before destruction. We see that in Proverbs it says pride essentially leads to destruction. That's what he's kind of saying there. It kind of brings us to a point where we need to ask the question, well, first, what is pride? And then what is destruction? Like, that sounds, sounds kind of crazy, right? I'm going to start off by telling you a story, right? This is where I was saying that this is thoughts and devotional. These are thoughts, right? Because this sermon is not done. This sermon isn't written completed yet. I don't know if I can complete it, to be quite honest with you. I'm going to tell you some stuff I've been going through the last couple weeks. It's actually kind of interesting. My wife is not here. She's napping. She just came back this morning at 6. I didn't talk to her about any of this, whether I was going to go over this with her and talk about it. And it's nothing against my wife. It's just the scenario that we were in. So, um, But this does mean that I, I've been at this place these last couple of weeks where I've been struggling to be happy. And honestly, I have, it's been hindering any fight for joy. It's like, where is it, right? So my family's been away. So I have, if you don't know, uh, I've got a wife. I've got five kids. One of them's moved out, but so I have four that still live at home, right? So I have a wife, four kids at home, and we just moved here about a, almost a year ago, eight months to a year ago from Washington State. Well, they got a chance to go out to Washington for the last two weeks. Um, everybody except me, right? Um, and even our oldest son is out there too. And it, 
was one of those situations where I'm now at home with the dog and two cats, right? It's been, it was really painful for me on a couple of ways, right? I was really, really, really missing them, right? I was jealous that they were having fun. I was envious that they got to see some of our amazing friends that love the Lord so deeply out in Washington, right? I was scared. Honestly, I was scared that they were happier being out there than they were here and or with me at all, right? I was mad that my job didn't give me the opportunity to take leave because I, I teach, so I had a class. And I don't have any, I'm kind of new at it. I don't have very much leave on the books. I couldn't take leave, right? So I was mad at that. I was angry that this kind of thing always seems to happen to me, right? It always seems to just be a thing, right? I was questioning, am I a magnet for these difficult situations? Like, it's just, am I a magnet for this? And I'm also asking, like, why has this happened to me? Why, why, why about me, right? On one hand, you can hear that little blip of kind of what I've been struggling through the last two weeks, and you could be kind of sorry for me or be like, oh, man, Chris, you feel, that's kind of sad. I feel bad for you. I'm going to ask you not to, though, because what God has led me in, honestly, which is probably the reason why I'm preaching this sermon is because he's revealed to me how gross and inwardly focused that actually is. How gross that is. You see, pride goes before destruction. If you notice the words that I said when I was saying those, when I was just telling you that little story, right? This sounds ironically close to the seven deadly sins that we've been talking through through Proverbs, Right? My attitude has not been fighting for joy. I couldn't. I was bound by the chains of thinking about me. Right? I said words like envious, jealous, scared, mad, angry, questioning. All of these things are all have the entire focus on me. And it was all like I was beating myself up to feel as if better for myself. And I couldn't even rest at all in the joy of maybe what my family was doing, right? So out of this, we see that this destruction attitude, right? It got me all like down on myself. I got all pity party flavor where I was like, you know, well, it's me. And I'm like super sad. And people are asking me, hey, how are things going? And I'm like, it sucks, you know? And I was like, this is, I'm never doing this again. Forget it. This is the worst thing ever. I hate being away from my family, which is all true. I love my family deeply, right? I really honestly do. But honestly, uh, it was leading me to destruction. So Isaiah, though, makes this very clear. In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 13 through 15, this is talking about, about Satan being desirous of God, right? And he makes this, uh, makes this comment. It says, in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 13 through 15, it says, But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will rise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recess of the north, and I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like most high. Nevertheless, you will be brought down to Sheol, to the recess of the pit. 
You see in the book of Isaiah, right? You see the destruction of pride. You see this archangel wanted to be like God. He wanted everything God had, right? He wanted to be just like him. He wanted to sit on the throne next to him. He actually wanted to take it. But what did God do in those situations? Flipped it, all that pride, and threw him straight down to Sheol, or basically to hell, right? Threw him down to the dirt. You see, you don't see in that, in that verse right there, you don't see God going, oh, well, I really appreciate your good, you know, leadership qualities. You know, that's a good idea. Or you also don't see, like, oh, this is a good guy. Like, you don't see, oh, he's got a, he's got, you know, he's got good qualities, but using them kind of badly. You know, he's an aspiring, you know, leader. This is great. You know, you don't see any of that. What you see is, pridefulness, and you see God striking it down. There's only two ends of this, pride and God striking it down. It sounds quite similar to what Peter was quoting when he was quoting Proverbs and said, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Right? Let me give you a couple more things. In the book of James, Jesus' brother says, James uh, chapter 3, verse 14 through 17, says, but if you have bitter... This is actually really funny, by the way, because I didn't chant any of this stuff with Philip, and I'm basically piggybacking off of what he said already, and I'm kind of completing some of the verses that he didn't actually complete. Like, he read to a point, and then I'm going to end up finishing them, which is fantastic, so thanks, Philip. That's a pretty good lead way. Got to pretty much give that over to God. James chapter 3, verse 14 through 17 says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so to lie against the truth. This wisdom is not which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, Gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and free of hypocrisy. In Mark chapter 7, verse 21 through 23, Mark says, From within, for from within, out of the hearts of people come the evil thoughts, acts of sexual immorality, thefts, murders, acts of adultery, deeds of greed. Wickedness, deceit, indecent behavior, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of these things come from within and defile the man. So those are just a couple of examples that I wanted to show you of what, what pride can lead to destruction, how pride can lead to destruction. So this leads us to going back to what is pride then, Right? I think I can easily say for me, pride is a disorder and pretty much every evil thing, right? For me, it is, for the way it looks is that pride is the root of all sin. You may believe me on that or not, and that's fine. That's worth a conversation to have, right? But I see that all of my anger and wrath and, and frustration and questioning and all of these things that could lead to actual physical sin comes rooted out of pride. So 
So it's interesting though, because pride in itself then has a couple different faces, right? You can have a pride that is so outwardly going, I am the best, I am number one, I am king of all of this, everybody should look up to me. That, I think we can all agree, is a very prideful individual, right? They would be like, you know, they've got all the Instagram followers and they're like killing it on YouTube and all this other stuff, right? But there's also another side of pride, and I'll be really honest, this is where I go, and it's the self-destruction pride. It's the self-destruction pride. This pride is where you feel like you're never good enough. You're always comparing yourself to someone. You're comparing your situation or your scenarios to other people's situation and scenarios. And I'll tell you what, it is exhausting. It is exhausting. You see, the root of both of these is pride. The woe is me attitude of your heart is just as prideful as the I'm better than everyone attitude of the heart. The point is, is that it's still focusing on me. It's still focusing on what I want, how I see things, how I want to live, how I deserve other people to treat me, how I am. I said I a disgustingly amount of times. So back into the Proverbs verse, it says, you know, it is better to be humble in spirit with the lowly than divide the spoil with the proud. Okay, so what does this mean? So let's continue walking through the verse. I think we've been through enough destruction here for a moment. Let's continue to talk, with the, talk about the verse. So when I read this, I think you really need to take a look at it from culture's perspective, right? If you look at it from culture's perspective, the spoil is going to be all the things that the world has to offer, like your big screen TV, you have to have a bigger one than your neighbor. You have to have a better boat than your neighbor, right? I'm in the boating industry. I know that if you buy one customer buys one set of electronics, then the other customer, his next door neighbor, is going to bring his boat into the shop, and he's going to want the same electronics that that guy bought, only better because he'll be able to see more fish and catch more because it's always a competition, right? How much cash you have, you know, what's in your Robin Hood account, what it looks like in your bank account, how many friends you have, how popular you are in school, what are the times you get on your track, you know, in track meets, all the things that puff you up and make you feel better, right? That is the spoil. They're not all bad, but it depends on the attitude that you have with them, right? Culture cares about self. Culture cares about performance, being better than the person sitting next to you, making sure people look like me, right? Doing things in yourself to gain approval. Like I said, how many Facebook likes you get, how many Instagram likes, you know, how many hearts you have and all that jazz. People strive for that. Those are spoiled. Those are self-giving traits. Those are self-giving things that uh, are penetrating into culture, right? These are the people, these people, and I say these people, but I think I could probably put myself in that category, <laughs> right? These are the awesome people, right? They are the best and therefore, if they're the best, the lowly would be the opposite of them. They would be the people that were last, right? The last place finishers. 
The people that couldn't afford a $100,000 boat, so he bought a $3,000 boat. Right? The one where the electronics are two or three years old already, and that's okay to have two or three-year-old electronics because they're still finding fish. The point is, though, is you see that even your last place finishers, they finished, right? They still finished. You see, God does this crazy reversal, and it's all throughout Scripture. And hopefully you've seen that when you read Scripture, right? Hopefully you've seen what that is. The prideful and the earthly get cast down, but the people that are lowly get built up. This verse says that the people that are lowly are the ones that are in exile. So if you're from a culture's perspective, you can see the lowly in exile because they are not as good as the people who are awesome from culture's perspective, right? This is an interesting topic because uh, me and Pastor Joel had this conversation just the other day, right, about being in exile, right? Christ calls us to be lowly, okay? Because he doesn't give grace to the proud, right? So he asks us to be lowly. And that means if you're lowly, right, then you're in exile. You're different than the rest of culture. But here's the situation. In exile, if you think about exile, you think about Old Testament walking around in the desert. Were the people walking around in the desert ever alone? Was God there with them? It was rough. There was a struggle that was involved. They were in exile. They didn't have a home. But did they have a home? Truthfully, I would challenge you to say, yes, they did. Because they're a part of the grand story of what God's redeeming work is. Without them going into exile, right, when dealing with all of that and understanding what it was like to be, you know, in exile away from their land and they God you know, was with them. He nurtured them. He provided for them. So they were never alone. They were never alone through any of it. So for us, are we alone? Do we have a home? Yes, we do. Those that are of us that are Christians, we do have a home. It just is not here on earth yet. But there is a home for us. It's being prepared for the day that it's time, whenever that is. Right? That's why we end service every Sunday and say, Lord, come soon, right? Not too soon. I like to see my family for the rest of the day, but I think that's just me. So God commands us to care for one another, to love one another, to worship him. The world commands to worship yourself. Worship other people. Acquire all the things that make you happy. The truth is, is that God is the source of happiness. And God is the source of joy. Fighting for joy is trust in God. So how do we combat pride then? How do I combat pride? How do you combat pride? Proverbs 29:23 says, "A man's pride will bring him low, but humble spirit will obtain honor." 
Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride comes, then comes dishonor. But with humble is wisdom. So that's an easy answer, right? Like, hey, Chris, you're talking for a long time. We'll just be humble. It'll be great. We'll just be humble. Okay? And, but that also, for me, I'm going I'm to pose this other question. Then what is humbleness? I don't even know if that's a word, but I made it up. Humbleness. What is humbleness? Can you achieve humbleness? You're welcome, Joel. I just made up a word. Uh, he'll probably scratch that from the sermon audio. So the interesting thing is that you can try and strive to be humble, right? But I believe you can get caught up in being humble because you can be caught up in the fact that you want to look humble on the outside so people can build you up on the inside. But I would challenge that that is still pride, seeking out humbleness. You know, I was listening to a couple of sermons and uh, read a couple of papers, and it's interesting that they kept coming back to this thing, and I wasn't really even going to mention it because I feel like it's all over Christian culture, where they say that Christian pride is the worst pride. And I was like, eh, I don't know if we can really categorize that. But I think the source of it is kind of there. I think the guts of it are there. Because us as Christians, we could be prideful of our faith with somebody else. We could be prideful and be like, oh, look at me. I like, I'm this great servant, right? You could be like, oh, look at me. I read my Bible like six times a day. Aren't I awesome? Yeah, well, you are. But why do you tell me that? Why don't you let your actions show who you are and what God's doing for you? I mean, that's a challenge, right? We see in Luke, and I'll read this, thing, this, this snippet out of Luke, chapter 18, verse 11 through 14. It says, this is uh, uh, Jesus talking about Pharisees, right? It says, the Pharisee stood and began praying this in regard to himself. He says, God, thank you that I am not like this other people. These swindlers, crooked, adulterers, and even this tax collector, for I fast twice a week, I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector that was standing some distance away was even unwilling to raise his eyes towards heaven, but was beating his chest, crying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Christ goes on to say, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other one. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So, what does it mean to be humble then? If you could be, if you could be prideful in being humble, <laughs> what does it mean to be humble, right? I don't know. I can't answer it for you. I really don't. I can't give you steps to be a humble person. I can't give you steps without invoking pride, potential pride in your heart or mine, and that would be a disservice. That's not me helping at all, right? Because pride is the root of sin. How do we know to be humble 
There's only one person that had walked this earth that was humble. And I can't give you steps to do it. All I could do is show you who that man is. And I know, okay, we'll do the thing. It's Jesus. Jesus was the most humble man that ever lived. And he didn't do it through words. He did it through action. It was who he was, not what he said. See, Christ didn't stand there and live his whole life wondering if people liked him, right? He didn't go around saying, I'm better than everyone. He spoke what was true, though. He said, I'm the son of God, which was true. It wasn't a prideful way of saying that he was the son of God. He was saying, this is true. So when you are humble, you know where you stand. You know what's true. What comes out of your mouth is true. It's not puffed up. It's not cut down. It is true. Jesus had compassion for people. And his only worship was to the Father. Again, to piggyback off of Philip, um, that's funny, out of Philip, we're going to go to Philippians. And uh, uh, chapter 2, verses 5 through 11 It says, have this attitude in yourself, which is also in Christ Jesus, who as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men. And he and uh, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death death on a cross. For this reason, also, God highly exalted him. Look at that right there. He humbled himself to the death, death on the cross. And for that reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. And that name, Jesus, every knee will bow for those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to glory to God and the Father. See, Christ is the example of being humble. There's only one man that walked the earth that was humble before the Father, God of creation. God stripped him for his love of humans. He was so humble and loved us enough to be stripped and broken and to be torn from God. He didn't have to die for you and me. He did nothing wrong. He spoke truth the entire time he walked on this earth. Right? When he was carrying his cross, he didn't say, look everybody, I'm the example of being humble. He didn't say those things. His actions, his attitude, his heart spoke for itself. He testified to the truth, and he was in complete fulfillment of Scripture. But in that moment when he died on the cross, right, he bore our sins. He bore the wrath of God in humility. And what did he say before that? Before he died, when he was hung, he said, he pleaded with God the Father and said, this is crazy, this is mind-blowing, this is what, this is what rocked me and wrecked me this whole week. He said, Father... 
Forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. He was humble enough. He was hanging on a cross. He did nothing wrong. He said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That is humble, if you ask me. I've got chills all over. That is craziness. That is craziness. So back to reality. I won't go on to the rest of the Eminem verse there. But he says, how do we battle pride? How do we then battle it? Right? It's simple. Just be humble. In the world of social media, though, when, again, you're trying to strive for likes and trying to strive for all the, the, uh, the be the next uh, viral video or be funnier than those that we look to, it sounds super simple just to be humble, right? I challenge you to think about those that are around you more than yourself. And I say I challenge you, but really I'm speaking to myself. I want to care for me. I want to care for my family more than I care about myself. I should be happy for them. The point is, is for me, um, this time of self-loathing, right, and being all down on myself, I get a chance, and I forgot, and this is where God's got me right now, right? I forgot just the sweet blessings that he's done, right? I forgot the sweet blessings that my family had the opportunity to see some great friends and encourage my family. I actually got to hang out on Thursday with Griffin, and it was wicked awesome. It was so fun to hang out in my living room and just talk and just be guys. Like, I forgot that God had done that. That is building, the, that is a part of being the church, right? But the whole time we were talking, it was fantastic, right? Don't get me wrong, it was great. The whole time we were talking, I kept thinking about being sad because I didn't have my family. Yeah, I missed them, but really I was focused on me. Why at that moment couldn't I have just focused on Griffin more, right? He was sitting in my living room. I also had an opportunity, like I said, I was a teacher. I have two guys in my class that happened this last week, this actually on Friday. Two guys, one guy, you know, battling addiction. Another guy had some marital issues going on, pretty broken. They stayed after class and were asking and prying, figuring out why I moved to Florida, right? And I have, you know, because I teach, I have to kind of pad that a little bit. And I asked them three times, are you sure you want to know? And they were like, yes. They... And I tried, honestly, I tried to just duck out of talking about God at, church, at school, right? But I was like, God's got me here to help plant a church. Me and my family moved cross country to do that. He's like, you gave up your job because we just got done talking about my old job in Washington. I was like, yep. He's like, you gave all that up and moved out to Florida to, for a church. I was like, yep. He's like, that is so fascinating. He's like, with all the mess I've been going through, I feel like I should be going to church here too because I don't know what the heck's going on. And he you know, said a bunch of expletives and all this stuff. And the other guy was actually ministering to him. I don't even know if they're Christians or not. He said he was a recovering Catholic, whatever that means. But nonetheless, right, there was this moment that God had me in, right? And I was like, I was, that, that was like the start of it like breaking me this week of going, God, all of my pity party and all of my sadness, I am, I am not even thinking about what you're doing, like what your goodness and what, what is great that is going on. I am, my, I am just 
so caught up in who I am that don't even matter. I, you know, these guys, hopefully they went to Cross Point in Orlando. You know, I pointed them to the Bible Project videos on YouTube and the podcasts and stuff, which if you haven't listened to those, they're pretty awesome. But now I'm not saying all this because I right now am trying to be humble. I'm saying all this because I need you to see where I am just hurting. Like, this ain't done. I don't have this stuff figured out. The only thing I can do, the only thing I can do is think about what Christ has done and his example, right? And that's basically got me to the point where I can stand here. Because a couple days ago, I didn't want to do this. Not at all. Like, this is too hard for me. Me, 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 me. I'm going to leave you with, uh, with uh, an example of Christ in Luke uh, chapter 23, starting in verse 35 uh, through 47. This is, uh, this, is Christ on the, this is Christ on the cross. So it says, And the people stood by looking at him, and even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saves others, let him save himself. If this Christ is God, the chosen one. The soldiers were mocking him. They were coming up to him, offering him sour wine, and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him that read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who was hanging there with him, hurling abuse at Christ, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered in rebuking him. He had two criminals next to him on the cross, if you didn't know that. But it says, But the other answered in rebuking him and said, Do you not even fear God? Since you are under the same sentence and condemnation. And we indeed are suffering justly for receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you, go to your, when you come to your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour and darkness fell on the whole land in the ninth hour because the sun was obscured and the veil of the temple was torn in two and Jesus crying out in a loud voice said, Father, into your arms I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Now when a centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God saying, certainly this man was innocent. That That is humble. Innocent man died on a cross for me. That was humble. Um, that's all I got. So those are my thoughts and where I'm at. So please, let's have more conversations with this. There's a community group that happens on Wednesdays. Let's do it. Um, know where I'm at. This is still a work in progress for me. So, man, that uh, scripture is pretty interesting. So kind of.
kind of rocks me. Um, uh, let me pray for us, please. God, thank you, Lord, for um, being an example of uh, perfection. God, thank you for giving us um, a time we can meet together and just share thoughts, hang out. Um, God, I ask, Lord, that you would continue to work in all of our hearts in, in pride, but also in what, that, what stems out of pride and in uh, our anger or frustration or jealousy or whatever it is, Lord. I pray that, Lord, we can love one another. We can care for those that are around us. For you have put them in our life for a particular reason, God, and I ask that you, God, would be our words and our love for others. Help your gospel spread across Cape Canaveral and the rest of Brevard and use us as tools, sure, tools uh, in that process. Thank you, God, again. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.